1: Dramatic or like, sort of understated or what? This is a land
2: that prays for
0: a hero. The humor of the entire situation suddenly gave way to a run for survival.
2: You are listening to Greening the Apocalypse on Triple R102.7 FM. Yes. Hello everybody and welcome to this week's edition of Greening the Apocalypse. Three Triple R's weekly inquiry into the various shapes of the future. Uh, and the present. Bushy's my name and uh opposite is Adam Grubb. How I grubby. Pretty good. It's good seeing
1: you in the singlet mate to see those um
2: the, <laughs> those hot. rock
1: mason honed guns out for the first yeah. time this season. It's
2: balmy. It's Barmy. Yeah. I had to cross the city. Si- I, I left Macedon at it too, because had to go across town and get some stuff from a nursery. Um, and you can keep that. <laughs> you can keep crossing Melbourne yeah. in a car. That is bollocks. Yeah, uh, it was like an hour and fifty. I was living the
1: um, urban peasant dream today. I was like doing beekeeping. I, was, I traded booze for,
2: for plants. Nice. So did some gardening. Did you? Uh, it was per- so pastoral. A, a milkmaid or a or a blacksmith. Just in my dreams In your dreams Only in (laughs) dreams Hello Katie Dundas Hello How you be? Well Super well
0: Well I think you chose to wear that singlet to show us your new body
2: No I chose to wear this singlet because I'm stinking hot and I have a sweating issue Can we draw (laughs) attention away from that (laughs) And perhaps put it elsewhere Hello, Jed. You going to comment on the singlet? It, not at all. Thank you. It's bloody warm in here, though. It's balmy. It is. Yeah. yeah interesting that it's so hot, isn't it? I think uh, we could introduce our guests for the evening, and probably a key tenant of what they're speaking to this evening is the increase in the heat. Nice segue. What, what increase in the heat? The one that's going to be better for us, potentially, if we stop sacrificing goats in a volcano <laughs> or something. Sorry, I digress. Adam Grubb. Who have we got in the
1: studio? Well, we've got two guests, but let me introduce the project of which they have come to speak first. So, on the 11th of November, Arts House will transform the North Melbourne Town Hall into an emergency relief centre. And the project is called Refuge. Together with artists, emergency and health services, scientists, First Nations, elders and community, Arts House will collaborate and rehearse what a creative response to an extreme climate event could look like. It's in its second year and it's a five-year project in collaboration with Resilient Melbourne and the City of Melbourne's Climate Adaptation Strategy. It's an exercise that creates stronger community resilience, awareness and preparedness for the imminent impacts of climate change. I hope I didn't steal too much of your thunder. It was a pretty long intro. Um, But to talk about it, we've got a climate scientist, someone not directly involved with the project but who can talk to the reasons why it exists. That is Andrew King who is Climate Extremes Research Fellow at the School of Earth Sciences and ARC Centre for Excellence for Climate Systems Science at the University of Melbourne. One of his recent co-authored papers is titled Australia's Unprecedented Future Temperature Extremes Under Paris Limits to Warming. So we will hear more about what is going to happen to the future of Melbourne's weather and Australia's and representing Refuge tonight (laughs) in the blue corner (laughs) is Tara Prowse, an artist, anthropologist and producer at Arts House and she's one of the key organisers. So welcome, Andrew, and welcome, Tara. Thanks
3: for having me. Thank you.
1: Um, It's great to have you both and we might, I guess, focus... Let's do a bit of context first, hey? So you're you're quite a... um, Young and handsome and, you know, fresh-faced looking person for a climate scientist, Andrew. How, what, how old are you, if that's a weird, not a weird question?
3: <laughs> so, I'm 28 years old.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you got like a heap of papers under your belt.
3: Yeah, so, yeah, I got into it quite quickly. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, um, really enjoy studying weather and climate. So, yeah, it's been quite easy to decide what I'm going to do and just go with it.
1: Yeah, yeah. What, what got you started on the road to climate science?
3: Uh, I've always loved extreme weather. So, even, like, during my undergrad degree, I uh, spent a year in Oklahoma, and a lot of that was storm chasing. uh, chasing, Storm chasing.
2: (laughs) Looking for for tornadoes. Because you're young and fit and you can chase them. So, how do you
3: chase a storm? Well, um, you have to pick the right day, and uh, you need a a good phone with radar um, information. To call for help. Uh, And to call for help (laughs) if necessary. Um, Yeah. And uh yeah you just need to kind of know um the the meteorology behind them so you, you don't get stuck um, you know actually in the path of a tornado.
2: Wow.
0: Um, How close did you come to getting swept up and swivelled around in the path of a tornado? Uh,
3: well, one time we did get quite close. like We were like a couple of fields away from a tornado mm. and it was nighttime, so we could only see it when it was being lit up by lightning, wow. uh, which was quite scary Bloody actually yeah. that time.
2: <laughs> can, I, can I ask an enthusiastic childlike question? What was the heaviest thing you saw picked up and thrown about by wind and did it look more convincing than CGI movies?
3: Uh, well... You have to remember, this was Oklahoma, so yep. there's not very much there.
2: Oh, okay. So, but like, did you <laughs> see, like, an F-250 Ford pickup truck picked up or <laughs> a house?
3: Uh, never saw anything like that. It was all three fields, so right. nothing that interesting. But you, if you've ever seen, um, like, aerial photos yep. after tornadoes, um, the damage is is quite shocking. And you can see, like, bits of houses, uh, cars picked up. Yeah. Yeah, so very extreme wow. storms.
1: Hmm. So, th- so. So it was uh, extreme weather that got you interested in climate change, and climate change has much to offer you.
3: Uh, it certainly does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, not all positive. No, no. Um, well, so
1: t- how did you how did you get started, and what's your specialty now?
3: So I'm interested in climate extremes now, yeah. and how they're changing uh, because of climate change, and also um, climate variability as well. So how do things like El Nino and La Nina. Influence uh, different climate extremes, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, it's a really interesting thing to study. Mm. And, yeah, quite um, pertinent to to this uh, this show.
1: Yeah. So Australia's already, uh, by virtue of it being yeah the the El, El Nino La Nina cycles, and what is the, the Indian Ocean one? What is
3: it? Yeah, the Indian Ocean Dipole. Yeah. I th-
1: I so we're already true. prone to extremes in weather, aren't we? What's been the recent history relative to an already fairly rocky and exciting past? How, much, how, much, how many more extreme weather events has there been?
3: Uh, so, yeah, as you say, in Australia we get lots of extreme weather and we would get lots of extreme weather even without any climate change. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a very variable climate. Uh, but we are seeing more heat waves, um, especially in our big cities. So Sydney, Melbourne. Uh, Brisbane, Adelaide, they're all seeing increases in heat waves, longer heat waves, more intense heat waves and more frequent heat waves.
2: Mm. How Uh, much do you have to take into account the city itself in that, say, where the system's moving in over that introduced thermal mass of cities?
3: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, It certainly has a big influence. Uh, But even without that, we would be seeing more heat waves. So if we look at more rural spots, we see more heat waves. But the, the urban... Uh, heat island adds to the, to yeah. the heat waves for sure mm. um yeah we, we're also um seeing lots of extreme rainfall events uh like uh like uh, we saw in queensland a few years ago after the tropical cyclones mm. um it's harder to say if climate change is having an influence there but um yeah it's it's certainly a, an interesting thing to study as well
1: yeah yeah so things have already, we're already seeing changes. What what kind of time frame do your studies look into when you're looking into the future?
3: Uh, so I'm typically looking at the next few decades yeah. um, with a focus at the moment on uh, the Paris targets. So the, the Paris Agreement aims to keep global warming below 2 degrees Celsius, mm-hmm. uh, preferably to about 1.5 degrees Celsius uh-huh. uh, above pre-industrial conditions. Uh, for context, we're about uh one degree above pre-industrial at the moment so this is looking at the next few decades and how heat extremes rainfall extremes might change uh in the future Hmm.
1: so you're assuming that we will hit the the paris targets and, Uh, and yet still finding some some what kind of level of change if we do
3: yeah so to be honest um we're almost certain to hit the Paris targets and they're very ambitious, even the two-degree targets,
1: oh, ambitious. When I say hit, I'm, I meant like not go over, but what are you saying that we... Oh, I, I think um, it, it's likely that we're going to go over. Yeah. Um, unless, I mean,
3: we we could try and avoid it if we really uh, reduce our greenhouse gas emissions, um, but we're not on track for that at the moment. We're on track mm. for about three degrees of global warming.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, so even... At the Paris targets, which isn't that much global warming above where we're at now, we're seeing uh, big increases in heat extremes in our uh, biggest cities in Australia.
1: Yep. Um, now, I understand that already uh, extreme heat is the biggest natural cause of death in Australia, mm. more than all other natural disasters combined. What, what's likely to happen in the future? How much worse will it be?
3: Uh, it's definitely going to be a, a, quite a bit worse. So um, e- even with uh, just keeping global warming to the two degree target, we're likely to see more heat extremes and the, even the possibility of hitting uh, 50 degrees Celsius in Melbourne, in Melbourne. Uh, or Sydney. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that would still be a very extreme uh, weather event in that climate, yep. but it's a possibility. Mm and obviously that's quite a scary thought that's um our, our records at the moment for melbourne and sydney are about 46 oh. degrees mm. so we already know that there's big impacts when we have those kinds of events so mm. add another few degrees and it's going to be a lot worse
2: yeah um, i was just going to so say i'm curious i mean there's going to be effects on human health and, and all sorts and, and, and on infrastructure but then you're going to you go to animals plant populations and then And how, you know, bacteria, you know, bacterial levels of, um, you know, say for example we've got infectious diseases that are accustomed to tropical areas and they're moving Mm. further south, perhaps even having areas um, where the rainfall is reduced more, you're getting less river flush and all that sort of Mm. stuff, you're getting rises in waterborne diseases, is this a, a thing that you look at a bit as well? Uh, that's not something i directly look at, mm. but it's certainly... And it's got to be on the radar, though. Yeah. Um, th-
3: that's kind of the interesting thing about it. We're, we're projecting all these changes in temperature and rainfall, but those can have impacts on, on mm. ecosystems.
2: Because I'm just imagining if yeah. you have the combined thing of, of less rain in a, in, in a riparian ecology, less rain pushing rivers out, and at the same time a rising sea level pushing the water back in, I mean, you, you stand to see the Yarra kind of almost lose its current uh, and so forth, uh, yeah, potentially,
3: I, I think um, so for somewhere like Sydney, for mm, example, yep. um, we know it 's getting more humid and yep. it 's going to get hotter, and that does increase the chance of, of tropical mm. kind of diseases flourishing in, especially in Sydney and brisbane, yeah yeah,
1: and that that combination of hot weather and humidity is it called the wet bulb? affect the measurement where above a certain combination of temperature and humidity human beings literally can't survive outside, you can't sweat the heat away.
3: Yes, yes so that's, um, well so it varies at different temperatures and humidities uh, but with we're talking about very high temperatures, uh, but it is a possibility for some regions of the world. Um, yeah. It's even projected for places like uh, India, yeah. which is you know very heavily populated area.
1: Mm. Like to have individual days where yeah, that would where, where anybody outside wouldn't survive. It's,
3: it's possible later yeah. in the century that would be a possibility. Mm. Yeah. Um, but so it's well
1: above this 50 degree threshold that you're yeah, talking about yeah so it depends yeah. on
3: the humidity as yeah, well but it uh, tends
1: to be dry heat in melbourne that's
3: right yeah. that's right so and and in sydney when it's that hot it's also a dry heat yeah um so it that's not something we're projecting for australia but it's something that should obviously be a, a great concern and mm-hmm. another reason to try and keep global warming capped
1: hmm. do you have you thought about or does your studies this might be the edge of what um you can speak to, but the impact on bushfire? Uh,
3: Yeah, so it's something we're interested in. It's not something I directly study, but um, it's obviously a big impact of heat extremes in Australia. Mm. Um, We know that hotter weather and um, combined with a a dry fuel load uh, could mean um, worsening of fire weather, extreme fire weather days, so uh, Mm. like we saw on Black Saturday or, or in the Blue Mountains a few years ago. Um, so that's obviously a big concern. Um, so it's likely that fire weather days are going to get worse and there's definitely m- more of a potential for severe fires in future.
1: Mm. And I guess, the, yeah, Bushy mentioned it in passing, mm. but yeah, the impact on plant and animal population. So is, 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 does your research influence people's modelling on that?
3: Yeah, so... Um, uh, climate models are used to um, to inform those kinds of studies, mm. and um, it's potentially a, a big issue. So, yeah, as I was saying before, with um, the potential for tropical diseases moving mm. south... Mm. Um, mm we also see it um, in the ocean as well uh, as the the oceans warm up we're seeing uh, a southward movement around australia in in tropical and subtropical fish Mm -hmm. and um, one of the the big impacts as well of course is on the the great barrier reef which is suffering uh, because of climate change Mm. very badly
1: Mm. and in terms of food production would be the other really big impact what what are we what's likely to happen in terms of rainfall so temperatures going up
3: yeah so there's more uncertainty with rainfall but over the south so places like perth adelaide melbourne we're projecting uh, decreases in rainfall and Mm. already in those places uh, as farmers know in victoria southwest uh, wa it's hard to sustain farms grow crops yeah um in the current climate it's going to get harder unfortunately yeah um it's getting drier especially in, in spring and uh, autumn so
1: and, and it's the wheat which is often grown on that really marginal dry country and that's, that's right. really that that's that's the basis of our of our food supply that's where most of our carbs come from yeah
3: there's a chance
1: we could with more extreme events see that go back you know it's not not viable for farmers to use it it would just go back to pasture presumably
3: uh potentially yeah it's yeah. Uh, I, I think farmers are very aware that uh, climate change is a big challenge for for agriculture and they're looking at adapting changing mm. their crop uh, cycles and changing the, their crops that they're growing yeah. or changing to pasture as well yeah,
1: yeah. One of, one of the things we saw in the millennial drought in the um, early 2000s in, in central Victoria, I know anyway, where there was a relatively, you know, 30% rainfall drop over a few years. And I think it was 90% drop in runoff into the reservoirs. Mm-hmm. So the irrigated agriculture was essentially wiped out in those regions. And um, one of the things that being a home gardener that I was pointing out at the time, it probably wasn't my idea, but I was promoting it, was that catching water from roofs are hard surfaces. So 30% less rainfall only means 30% less water if you're catching it off a, mm-hmm. off a roof. Yeah. So it seems likely that with the extreme conditions happening um, out for farmland that we might see more food production have to move into people's backyards. Not that you can feed yourself your your full diet by any means, but we can supplement it and some of the some of the better country that's currently being used for for vegetables which don't provide any calories much to speak of um can be turned over to calorie crops Mm -hmm. while we can grow the veggies in the city potentially
2: sounds like you're talking about a bit of an adaptability there adam which might lead perfectly into um, our next guest after our first musical interlude Yes, and R is where you are, and Greening the Apocalypse is the show you are tuned to. If you are just joining us or have skipped the first part of the podcast and landed here by chance, um, we are speaking with Andrew King, and we're also speaking with Tara Prowse. Uh, Andrew is a 28-year-old storm chaser who's interested in extreme weather and spoke a bit before the track, but Adam is now going to introduce our second guest, Tara.
1: Well, I already did that, but I was, do want, do we probably need a recap by this point. Recap. <laughs>
0: for sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, So I'm a producer and I'm based at Arts House. We are located in the North Melbourne Town Hall in the beautiful pocket of North Melbourne. Um, We're actually a program of the City of Melbourne, so we're part of the Arts Melbourne um, broader program. Hmm. Um, And I guess to kind of jump into introducing the project, Refuge... about a year, just over a year ago, we discovered that um, the North Melbourne Town Hall is one of the City of Melbourne's designated relief centres. Mm-hmm. So we're one of about 18, I think 16 to 18 relief centres across the city, um, which could be, I guess, activated at any time should the circumstances mm-hmm. um, require. The relief centres are everything from the MCG down to us, we're on the smaller end of the spectrum um, and we don't have backup power and so on but it definitely kind of started us thinking almost what is our responsibility in this space. So we're an arts venue. We work with independent artists predominantly, independent arts companies, um, and really, I guess, uh, promote contemporary and experimental performance predominantly, but lots of experimental projects as well. So projects that sit at the intersection of, for example, climate change and the arts and the way that artists kind of approach these, these topics. So we started thinking about... I guess what, yes, what our civic responsibility might be in that space and the way that we might, um, you know if something happened whereby the North Melbourne Town Hall was activated, how would we contribute to the response instead of just handing over the keys, as we probably would still do, but, um, you know, what what assets have we got? Um, You know, we know the community very well locally in North Melbourne. They know the building, they know the venue, they know us. We've got Mm. this incredible network of of artists who think creatively about, you know, the wicked problems of the world, so how Mm. might we bring them into the conversation? So... That was really the beginning of our kind of inquiry into mm. you know, what it might be to, to think in this space um, and that um, prompted this project Refuge which had the pilot iteration of that happened in July last year mm-hmm. um, and we're in year two of a five-year project looking oh. at all of the apocalyptic scenarios <laughs> over a five-year spectrum. Um, What was last year? So last year we looked at a localised flooding event, Mm -hmm. particularly around North Melbourne um, and the kind of arden Macaulay area, which is quite a um, low-lying area. We used um, a really interesting piece of software that City of Melbourne runs called the um, ICAM software, which stands for Climate Adaptation Modelling Software, essentially. So um, the engineering team at City of Melbourne are able to kind of uh, input different pieces of data which look at both kind of allowing for rising sea levels in terms of thinking about mm. climate change but also, you know, storm events and so on that are more localised, rainfall upstream. Um, and when we put that, put those images into the modelling software, really became evident that Arts House is at the top of a hill <laughs> yeah, yeah, very because clear. we were high Great. and dry. Yeah, yeah, so um, the perfect place yeah, for yeah. such a thing. Yeah, and it's an old town hall. It's a beautiful old town hall with a big... Um, yeah, big space in there. Sturdy. And so we invited seven artists to come into mm-hmm. the building, um, and we ran, before we kind of set them all off on their journeys of thinking about this, we ran a, a knowledge exchange lab. So for a week, about six months prior to the event, we brought together climate scientists, we brought together um, emergency services, because obviously mm-hmm. I, they are the first responders in, in any situation. Mm. Um, we brought together artists... Working in this space, um, City of Melbourne, the kind of expertise that exists at City of Melbourne, and for about four or five days, we all kind of you know problematise what we were trying to do. What, is, what does that mean? Lot. You
1: just think about uh,
0: yeah what
1: what the problems are that you want to address.
0: So, I guess we kind of we looked at the structures. It's lovely that exist.
1: word, problematise. <laughs> Sometimes I think I, I, I problematise things. My own life.
0: We looked at um, <laughs> the structures that exist for response, I guess, that the City of Melbourne mm. runs. So the protocols and um, systems for running a relief centre, um, and then we kind of started to break that apart and think about what does the provision of relief mean. Mm-hmm. We're very interested in the space of preparedness as mm. opposed to recovery. So we really mm. wanted to kind of forefront what we were doing in a in a in a space of where things perhaps hadn't happened yet, mm-hmm. um, and particularly in an urban environment i think that's quite um obvious that lots lots of times urban communities haven't necessarily faced you know the disasters in the same way as particularly in australia regional and rural communities have faced them Mm. um such as bushfire so we really wanted to kind of think through you know where we were we're in an urban community we're in a very diverse community north melbourne is a you know as all pockets of melbourne very diverse pocket in terms Mm. of socioeconomic um Uh, demographics and so on Um, we wanted to think through and really respect the protocols which were in place and the kind of systems and of response which the emergency service providers have spent a long time working on um, particularly around the provision of relief in a relief center and then we wanted to kind of put these artists in the mix with their you know anarchic adaptive you know fabulous processes of rethinking and unpacking and creating but within the structures that existed and then see what Mm. would happen so we actually had no idea what would happen we opened the building for 24 hours last year we had over 700 people through the building um emergency services came out afterwards we worked with a number of them but red cross australia um ses save the Mm. children salvos so on and so on Mm. and they came out afterwards saying this is the most productive exercise we've ever been involved in. So for us that was practical perspective. From a practical perspective. So I think it was definitely a surprise for us because we didn't again know what we were stepping into. But I think the space of being able to interact with local community who are also general public and for them to kind of demystify a little bit of what the role of the emergency services is Mm -hmm. in this, but also alongside the artists who were um, presenting, I guess kind of experiential um, learning opportunities for people who came into the building in a very investigative and, you know, experimental manner. Yeah. So there wasn't... The, the artist works were presented as questions, I guess, back to yeah. the people who entered the building and allowing yeah. them to explore it on their own terms. So... Yeah. Yeah. Can you describe what some of the artists did? Yes, absolutely. So um, a number of the artists from last year are also involved this year. So um, last year and again this year, we're working with a fantastic artist, Latia Tamopeo, who's a Tongan Australian performance maker. Um, and she her practice is very centred around the body. So she's a, a performance artist, a dance practitioner. Um, it's very personal for her, this conversation. Tonga is you know, really at the Mm. forefront of the impacts of climate change. Um, So last year, uh, she was uh, looking at the kind of scope of energy production in the context of a relief centre and what that might mean. And she was very interested in the idea of what are the role, what's the role of local warriors in our community, Mm. you know, and have these people... For example, North Melbourne Football Club is just down the road from us. We have these SES volunteers who are all local residents. What does it mean for people who, you know, in sports clubs or in kind of a fitness context in their everyday life might then suddenly have to change their their function if something like that happens? Mm. So she worked very it closely. often be
1: those local networks that weren't set up for that but where there are communication channels yeah. that step up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Know. And how can we both call on them but also how can we uncover them for people themselves mm. so um, she worked with the North Melbourne Football Club, the Huddle that's, that's a part of that um, football club um, and a number of local sports teams and she's doing the same again this year um, to bring them into the building to think about energy production so she attempted to, it was a quite a beautiful um, durational project, she attempted to generate with these sports teams, enough energy to run the building for 24 hours should the power go out with physical energy, (laughs) (laughs) Um, which in itself was a fantastic... Exercise to just see actually what it would take to yeah. run That space that, like that could
2: explain North Melbourne finishing near the bottom issue. That'd be <laughs> knackered. <laughs>
0: um, so, yeah, and I mean, it was a very physically, and it is again this year. She's presenting her project again this year. It's called The Human Generator. Hmm. Um, and it's a very visceral experience of, uh, I guess, both what the energy that is needed to both think through these m- huge wicked problems yeah. which we're faced with but on a very personal level and um, this year I'm happy to say she's got the St John's Ambulance involved because um, she might be raising temperatures of the participants so we have um, emergency services on site to make sure that everything goes according to plan. Yeah and a heat plan. wave
1: getting on the exercise bike generator, not
2: such a great Yeah. A yeah. Way so to she go. has a,
0: a heating and cooling circuit this yeah. year so you will pass through both both
2: components of that, yeah. Okay. I was uh, <laughs> yeah. I was curious to take a step back. You said before you're talking about the um, the demographic of the North Melbourne and, and probably even extending out to Kensington and Flinders that area, um, and being familiar with that part of town, you get some migrant groups who have come from in some cases some high conflict zones, um, heavily drought. Affected flood-affected zones and so forth, um, with a higher density of population and and probably a, a far lower access to capital and and uh, resources and all the things. To what degree have they become involved and informed this, and 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 how valuable is that to you guys?
0: Yeah, great, great question. Um, and I think it was definitely our learning last year that we needed to kind of reach out and involve them in the planning. Mm. Um, but also to be really aware of not retriggering traumas that yeah. that they, they might already come with. Yeah, um, and I'm a, given I'm that I'm this is a
2: conflict zone, for example, there's a very real chance that those folks have escaped that to put it behind them. But yeah, I, yeah, I just wanted to sort of speak to that because that, their their perspectives on conflict conflict resolution during a crisis, I think, would be so invaluable.
0: Yes, yeah, so absolutely, and I think that's a lot of the premise of the project is that it's a two-way conversation. So yeah. whilst you might enter the building and on the day and do you know, uh, a Red Cross preparedness talk for 40 minutes where they'll talk you through, you know, have you digitised your documents, those kinds of yeah. very practical things. But mm. there's also, and I guess this is the kind of uh, arts component that we're really highlighting, there's conversation spaces. So mm. we're really seeing conversation as action as well. So it is about understanding the local community Community. Yeah. It is about them understanding who they are as well yeah, yeah. between themselves. Yeah. So, meet your neighbor is is actually very important in in a time of disaster. The social mm. networks that yeah. you have and and how socially connected you are is a big marker of your capacity to survive well. Yeah. So, yeah, a big component of the project is just the conversation and the the, the skill sharing and the resources that people might bring to the building. Mm. Um,
1: I still feel a little bit as somebody in the city. I, I guess you, you've explored heat waves and this we're exploring this year, and you did flood last year, but I still feel a, a, probably a false sense of security. Last week we had um, Daryl Taylor on, who was a King Lake Black Saturday survivor. And he had, I can't remember if this was on or off air, but he had some really interesting thoughts on resilience and how systems that get small regular shocks and he was also talking about the cfa as being providing a false sense of security and they can deal with putting out grass fires but when the big things come you're actually less prepared because you've because of those small shocks that you have been able to deal with and i'm wondering if maybe that applies to the city as a whole that when we all feel fairly safe but if something big was to happen it would really catch us unawares So I don't.
0: (laughs) No, (laughs) no, I think that's. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that's that's the big question, isn't it? You know, where where would you go? Who would you go with? Who would you rely on? Yeah. You know, and and you know, would you rely on your local city to open up relief Mm. centres? You know, yeah. What what kind of government infrastructure would you rely on? we're working quite closely with Emergency Management Victoria as well as with Resilient Melbourne, which mm. is uh, one of the 100 cities, the Rockefeller cities, which is a really interesting initiative around thinking about what resilience is in mm. this space. Um, and you're, you're quite correct, it's about kind of thinking through the way that systems respond to the, to the shocks and stresses. And, you know, as you were saying earlier, I think we know that climate change is the acute um, shock that is here, if not already um is coming so i mean i think in terms of how that Uh, relates to refuge it's really about um the way that we are bringing together i I guess kind of quite disparate groups of people community artists emergency Mm. services in the context of this building this space that we're in Mm. um and what might emerge from that so i think does it force um, you to
1: think through the implications of what happens in an emergency more than what you would if you just casually imagined it
0: Y yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we have to write the scenario. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you start thinking about, you know, is my mobile phone charged and, yeah. you know, how do I pick my kids up from school if there's no public transport? Mm. I can't get back across the city and, um, you know, the food in my fridge will only last, you know, two days at that if the power goes down. So it definitely, you know, putting these scenarios together with Emergency Management Victoria and mm. input from the local community, thinking about impacts... Um, definitely brings that home and I think you know what you were saying before about some of the um, you know residents who live in high-rise towers both yeah. of the newly built um, buildings but also the the social housing you know without power you've got no elevators mm. and you're on the, you're on well, the top floor. In some instances floor.
2: the doors don't open there's like the tagging electric key or whatever that's you know, a really simple little thing, all of a sudden you're locked out because that's the emergency response of that door mechanism.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And you've got, in North Melbourne, you've also got a high population of international students who are, mm. don't have the social networks to rely on in an event like that. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think yeah. I think because I'm coming from the arts, I'm just going to plug the arts response here, but I think artists are quite uniquely placed to be able to think adaptively in those contexts very often they're independent artists they're working from you know project to project but also the way that they think creatively um enables us an in into what it might be to imagine that scenario so Mm. um
1: it's kind of a license to play a bit if you're an artist so you Mm. don't have to do the most obvious thing which sometimes will turn up possibly ridiculous suggestions i don't know i'm not Um, casting you know pointing towards you at all or the refuge project but i'm just saying that it's the uh, ability to experiment and label things as art which creates possibilities good ones
0: absolutely absolutely i mean i think you know arts house (laughs) champions experimental projects so you know we often don't know what's going to happen and that's part of the beauty of kind of playing in that space and playing Mm. in the dark together so um yeah. So the, I mean, the event this year. There's some fantastic artists involved. Uh, Jen Ray is um, an artist who I think. Um is an avid listener of this um radio show so oh, she great. Hi, jen. Hi, jen. <laughs> shout out to jen um she's been an artist in residence this year so she's been a, at arts house solidly for the last few months um and she's particularly looking at the provision of food within the context of a relief center so she's a researcher and an artist and her work is a lot around food security um seen her with a copy of your your book collecting weeds uh, locally around the area so everything that she is going to be um uh providing or not providing in the building on the day uh has been locally sourced has been sourced from um, leftover food from the local restaurants in north melbourne um she's working with lots of local businesses she's making a uh, a homemade vermouth which will be uh which is made from waste wine from local local shops um but she the way that like <laughs> <laughs> I've never done that one. the, the way that level. she um <laughs> describes her work is that um you know, she's, she doesn't do catering. Uh, uh, food is an experience, so it's all about the context. Um, and particularly if you come to refuge on the day, on, on the Saturday the 11th, and you do want to get some food, you will have to do something in order to get that. So it's about bartering, it's about mm-hmm. networks, it's about um, contributing to the system, it's about mm-hmm. exchange of knowledge, it's about what skills do you have and what can you share with your community, and then you might get an ice lolly.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Made out of mm. wheat. <laughs> bugs, Partially bugs. melted. Oh, from bugs. bugs. Oh, bugs. Bugs. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I was just going to say, so, you know, as we begin to wrap up, so is exploring these scenarios and looking at community responses through the arts. We've got Andrew in the studio as well who has been looking on a deeper level at the systems as they start to change and evolve or break, depending on which way we're looking at it. Um, so I guess between the two of you, We've got a fairly good anchor. What sort of things would you guys start to push people, or well not push people towards? What would you suggest people start to do to prepare for emergency situations in the future, and and what sort of scenarios might, uh, you know, Melbourneians be looking at directly?
3: Um, well, with heat extremes, uh, in terms of uh, health response, uh, mm. health impacts, it's, that's the big concern, I think. Um, so. Having um, an awareness if, if you're going to suffer in the extreme heat um, from heat exhaustion or if you've already got a pre-existing condition mm-hmm. uh, that will be exacerbated by the heat, mm-hmm. just being uh, very cautious about um, what yeah. you're doing on those hottest days and mm. um, adapting mm. appropriately. Because uh, we already know that when we have heat waves we have more hospital admissions, yeah. and it's uh, a greater strain. So it's
2: ima- it's not outside the realm of imagination that those hospital systems will be under greater strain. So where you can reduce that with your own self reliance, that's probably a key point. I, I think so. I, th- I think that's
3: one of the big things that people can do mm-hmm. um, at home. Uh, it, uh, in in other ways, I, I think the the city of Melbourne's going to need to plan uh, better for heat extremes and and. Um, also, uh, uh, PTV as well. So with uh, transport uh, yep. being under strain, we already know that on the hottest days, yeah, trains, trains have to <laughs> yeah. exactly. So um, that will happen more often, yep. um, unless maybe the, the train tracks are adapted. Um, also, electricity um, yep. supply and. Uh, we know on the hottest days that there's greater demand for electricity, so mm. uh, because everyone cranks up their aircon. Yeah. So,
2: um, so something towards a DIY adaptability of your space, so that it's not so reliant on those yeah. electrical inputs to cool. And-
3: yeah, I think I think that's that's a good thing, and that kind of goes to what, in a, in a sense, what Adam was talking about earlier with the food, um, you know, gr- growing your own. Just being a bit more self reliant is certainly yeah. uh, not a, a bad idea. Indeed. Tara.
0: I was just um, going to add to that that um, older people are particularly mm. vulnerable in heat. Yeah. So, I mean definitely stay cool and look after yourself but also check on your neighbours particularly Mm -hmm. older neighbours i mean i think the the key advice that comes out of city of melbourne but also ghhs is you know stay hydrated um you know yes check on your neighbours and seek out cool spaces Mm. around the city so that might be malls or you know anywhere that's got indoor if the power isn't out so um yeah i think those 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 demographics within the community that that you know they are more vulnerable in those in those situations so i
2: guess i think that's sort of one of the things i consider with anyone who's approaching the idea of uh, self-reliance or you know um you know being self-sustaining that if you are of a good age and good health and those sorts of things if you if you don't have uh, a constant need for medical attention or or, or dietary specifics um then you're in you're in the best position possible to take the strain off those systems that will be more required for people under stress the elderly the very young um, you know people who suffer allergens people who so forth so yeah takeaway points Adam? Hmm. Um, Well I'm not going to have any
1: takeaway points till I go there I'm tempted to do the sleepover that sounds hilarious (laughs) tell us about that
0: Tara. So yes, it's actually it's a twenty four hour event. I think we're almost sold out on the sleepover tickets. Oh, so yep. you never know, um, but we have a, a hundred willing um, participants who have volunteered to sleep overnight in the relief centre. They will experience the deep dive into what it means to be. Um, both a relief centre volunteer as well as um, somebody in need, so mm-hmm. they will both be required to help service the relief centre alongside actually being um, given relief in various in various ways over the course of the twenty four hours. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah we're working with a couple of wonderful artists on that vicky cousins and emily johnson emily's a first nations Yupik artist from the u.s and vicky's a gundamara woman from western victoria and they have created a beautiful overnight experience for everybody so yeah, yeah.
2: yes and triple r is where you are and where you have been at Um, We are commencing the wrap-up. Do you want to talk a bit about Refuge, Tara? Give us some dates, some times, what's going on.
0: Absolutely. So Refuge is happening on the 11th of November. Midday till 10pm, the building is open. We are located at 521 Queensbury Street in North Melbourne in the Town Hall. 57 Tram, take you right there from the city. Um, We'd love to see some people there come and um, experience some art and learn how to survive a heatwave.
2: Nice one. And Andrew, you've got a blog. Do you want to mention that?
3: Yeah, that's right. Um, I've got a blog on my website. And uh, actually, I've also got a column on the Conversation website. Okay, um, cool. The Conversation's uh, news, um, well, academics writing uh, stories uh, based on their work or based on what's going on in the news. So I have a column on that looking at uh, climate change and extreme weather. So check that out. Cool, cool. There's
0: also a great video about last year's Refuge on Vimeo. So if there's any listeners that want to see what the artists were doing and see how much community spirit there was, then I recommend watching that. Can you just search on Vimeo for... So that's on the Arts House website, artshouse.com.au, and look up Refuge and you'll find the video. Awesome.
2: Uh, Adam, we've got a guest next week lined up. Who's it going to be? It's going to be farmer Charles Massey. He is author of Call of the Reed Warbler, A New Agriculture, A New Earth. It's a big book and it's a good book. We'll be speaking to him next week. Katie, Kate, good to see you. A oh,
0: wonderful to be here.
2: <laughs> and Tara and Andrew, thank you Thank We're you coming. for having thanks. us. No it's Jed, thanks for punching those buttons in the correct sequence. Well, Bush is my name. You've been listening to Greening the Apocalypse. We'll see you next Tuesday, but until then, do have all the fun.
0: This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.